0: How you handle situations impacts the significance of your life. This message is the sixth in the series, 10 Lessons for a Life of Significance. The message is entitled, Resist Revenge. Here is Pastor Dale O'Shields. Grab your Bibles, your teaching sheet, just one quick announcement before I go into the message. Don't forget that this weekend is Baptism Weekend. If you've never been baptized since becoming a follower of Jesus, It's a great next step in your journey. And so you can be baptized after service day in every campus. and uh, the worship center there, just send us the service over. Go to the banner that says Baptism, and we'll take care of you and get you all set up to be water baptized. We're continuing a series of messages We've been involved in for several weeks. This is actually our sixth message in the series. We're talking about uh, living a life of significance, lessons re- lessons related to how do we find significance in our lives. And I wanna talk to us this weekend about a, a very important topic that every one of us will deal with from time to time, uh, if not fairly regularly in life, and that's the whole idea of having to, having to resist, learning to resist something called revenge. As I've reminded you as a part of each introduction to this message, I'm talking about how to have a life of significance. And you and I can live life at one of three levels. We can live life on the basis of survival, and sometimes that's how you live, just sort of making it uh, from one day to the next, and many times we, we go through that. It's an experience of life. For some of us, unfortunately, it becomes a pattern of living, and it's not the highest way to live, just surviving. And you can move beyond surviving to experiencing some level of success, and success is, is a good thing, and it's a great thing to have some margin in your life and to be able to find that you're accomplishing some goals and being successful in some things you're trying in life, a great thing, but a lot of folks stop at success, think, now I've reached a level of success, now that's sort of what my life is all about, but they really miss the target of the Bible because the target of the Bible in moving you forward in your life is not success, it's something far beyond that, it's something called significance. And unfortunately, if you stop at survival or, or success, you never find significance. And you can actually be successful and never be significant, and you can be significant without ever really experiencing what the world calls success. It's a very important kind of unique dimension of life because success is something that happens to you. It's an accomplishment of your life or something that happens to you, but significance is something that happens through you to impact the world around you to advance God's kingdom through your life. I want to be a a, a man, I want our family to be a family, I want our church to be a church that doesn't stop at a level of just surviving or even being successful. I want to be significant, how about you, amen? So how do we do this? Well, to, to, to move to significance, you need some models. It's like anything else in life. How do I do something? Well, you've got to find somebody that did it. And then you look at them and you model their life. And, of course, the greatest pattern and example of significance is none other than Jesus. But for this particular study, we're looking at an Old Testament character. And his name is David. King David ultimately becomes king of Israel. And he goes through lots of different things in life. David was not a perfect man. David had his failures. David had his moments in life. But nevertheless, God referred to David, even in the midst of all of his ups and downs and failures, God still referred to him as a man after his own heart. And part of the reason that God spoke of David as a man after his own heart was because David responded well to life. He responded well even in the times of his own failure. He responded the right way. And so because of that, God saw his heart because, in fact, God reminded us that man looks at the outward appearance, but what does God look at? at the heart, and so there were some things in David in his heart that allowed him to live a very significant life. How do we know his life was significant? Because millennia later, we're still talking about David. I would say this is a fairly significant life, right? If if somebody's still talking about you in a positive way, thousands of years from the time you lived, I would say this is a pretty significant life, right? So what was it in David's heart? We've talked about several things. I want to talk today about the fact that David knew how to handle relationships well, at least in many situations. He had something in his heart that's so valuable for us to learn as well. I'm going to share with you three lessons about this idea of revenge today and how we see the opposite of that in David's life. The first thing to recognize from David's life and this uh, focus today and in our lives as well, a very important principle, life isn't always fair and people aren't always nice. I think I could get a solid amen on that one, right? Life isn't always fair and people are not always nice. It would be nice if people were always fair and people were always nice, but we experience in life situations where things don't seem to be handled quite fairly. And it seems at times in life when it seems like people are responding to us in a negative way or even in a nasty sort of way. And can I add there, even in church, it happens sometimes. I know that's hard to believe, but it's true, right? In life, it doesn't always seem like things are fair. It doesn't seem like people are always nice to you. David experienced this very significantly, multiple times in his life. But I'm going to talk about one particular time in his life as he kind of gets to this place of coming to the understanding of how nasty life could be. And it was a time when he was being pursued by King Saul. Let me give you a little bit of the background, and we'll look at 1 Samuel chapter 24 and see what's going on at this particular historical moment in David's life. David, after he had uh, slayed, slain Goliath, uh, that wonderful story, verse Samuel 17, he kills Goliath. And then, of course, everybody's celebrating David as a champion of Israel. And the people are singing about him. The ladies are out in the street saying Saul has slain his thousands and David has slain his tens of thousands. And immediately when that began to happen, Saul, who was king at this time, Saul's heart turned very angry toward, toward, uh, toward David. He became very jealous. He began to plot to destroy him. He brought David into his palace, and David was there to serve Saul at this particular time. But he was primarily there as a musician. To when uh, when Saul would go into sort of you know, insane moments, David would would play the harp for him, and that would calm Saul down. But there's occasions now that even that's not calming him down, and and there are moments when Saul, we talked about it last week, will throw spears at David even in the palace, and David realizes. Saul is very jealous of me. He wants to destroy me. I've got to get out of here. And so he leaves and begins to flee and Saul begins to pursue him. And this goes on year after year for an entire 10 years, decades, he's being pursued by Saul. It's one of these moments that Saul is after David. Let me read for you what happens in 1 Samuel 24 and this particular experience of this season of David's life. It says, after Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of En Gedi. So Saul chose 3,000 elite troops from all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. The Bible's pretty real, is it not, okay? But as it happened, David and his men were hiding farther back, that very, in that very cave. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today, the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do with as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. Here's this background. Here's what's happening. Saul is pursuing David, trying to kill him, and he gets some intelligence about where David was at this particular time. He's down in New Engedi is down near the Dead Sea. I wonder if you've ever traveled to Israel with me. We always go to Engedi, At least we generally try to stop there uh, just for a moment to show uh, folks where that was. Maybe you've traveled there before. Engedi. its a beautiful spring a waterfall there, and a, it's a place where wild goats hang out. So it's been a nice place for David to hide out from Saul. Lots of caves back in there to hide in. And so Saul gets news that David is in Engedi, and so he brings three thousand men with him to encircle David and to capture him in that moment. David had somewhere between four and 600 men with him at that time, so it's an unfair advantage on the part of Saul, so Saul has everything necessary to destroy David. So there he is in this particular moment, and David's hiding in the cave as well, and Saul goes into the very same cave where David and some of his men are hiding in the back. So they're hiding back in the darkness of the cave, and Saul goes in to relieve himself, the Bible says. So he's in a very vulnerable position at that moment as he's doing what he was doing. And David's men in the back hear David, uh, see Saul there and say to David, David, God has just set this up for you. Here's your moment. God is going to allow you to, to kill Saul, to take his life. You can end everything right now. You can solve the problem in this moment. Kill him or let us kill him. It's a God moment for you, David. Strike while the iron is hot. And there he was in this moment facing the opportunity, the potential of being able to take the life of his enemy, his, his nemesis, and he has to decide what he's going to do. It seemed like, notice this, it seemed like a divine setup for David to free himself in the situation, but it wasn't. See, not every situation that seems like a divine situation is a divine situation. And this situation, it seemed as though it was, but David realized there was a temptation in the midst of this situation that he had to be aware of, because for many years, this man had treated him unfairly, but now he's got to to handle himself in this moment. And I want you to see something about David that's reflected in 2 Samuel. I'm going to fast forward you quite a bit forward, several years forward in the story, and then we'll get back to where we are in the story in just a moment. I want you to see David's heart because although Saul hated David, David never hated Saul. Let me say that again. Although Saul hated David with a vengeance, Saul wanted to destroy David. And although Saul hated David, David never hated Saul. David had all the reason in the world to hate Saul because he's being pursued by him. He's done nothing wrong. David never did anything wrong to Saul. He was always supportive of Saul. He was always trying to help Saul. He was always there to serve Saul. And so he'd never done anything wrong, but life isn't always fair and people are not always nice. And so here's David on the end of this, and we. We gotta see how he's gonna handle it. So I'm gonna fast forward to several years to the time that Saul actually dies. He's killed in battle. And you would think, what would you normally think of when somebody who is your enemy is killed in battle, what kind of song would you write about him? Hallelujah, he's gone, okay? Thank you, Jesus, I'm delivered. You would think that they would write a song like that, but I want you to hear right now the song that David wrote when Saul was killed in battle. It will show you something about the purity of of David's heart. 2 Samuel chapter, chapter 1, beginning in verse 17. He's just gotten news that Saul and Jonathan had been killed on Mount Gilboa. And so David now does this. Then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan. Well, this is gonna be interesting, right? What is he gonna write in the funeral song? And he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. It is known as the song of the bow. It is recorded in the book of Jash- Jashar. Now, here's the song. Your pride and joy, O Israel, lies dead on the hills. O how the mighty heroes have fallen. Don't announce the news in Gath. Gath was a Philistine territory. Don't proclaim it in the streets of Ashkelon, another enemy territory of Israel. Israel. Or the daughters of the Philistines will rejoice and the pagans will laugh in triumph. O mountains of Gilboa, let there be no dew or rain upon you, nor fruitful fields producing offerings of grain, for there the shield of the mighty heroes was defiled. The shield of Saul will no longer be anointed with oil. You hear the grief in David's heart? Can you imagine having the same kind of heart toward your enemies? The bow of Jonathan was powerful, and the sword of Saul did its mighty work. They shed the blood of their enemies and pierced the bodies of mighty heroes. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. Saul was never gracious. But in David's heart, what was his attitude? Even my enemy I'm going to view as being gracious. How beloved and gracious were Saul and Jonathan. They were together in life and in death. They were swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O women of Israel, weep for Saul, for he dressed you in luxurious scarlet clothing and garments decorated with gold. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen in battle. Jonathan lies dead on the hills. How I weep for you, my brother Jonathan. Oh, how much I loved you, and your love for me was deep, deep, deeper than the love of women. Oh, how the mighty heroes have fallen, stripped of their weapons, they lie dead. If nothing else will show you the heart of David, this should show you the kind of heart that David had. He could have easily written a, a funeral song celebrating the fact that his enemy was gone, but instead David lamented the loss of his enemy. Jesus taught us something about how to deal with life when it's not fair and how to deal with people when they're not nice. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 11 and 12. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evils against evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Jesus said you can experience, you're going to, you can anticipate in life experiencing moments that people are not going to be nice and life will not seem fair. But rejoice and be glad. Paul comes to the end of his life, the great apostle Paul who accomplished so many wonderful things with his life. And you would think that when he gets to the end of his life, he's going to have lots of friends hanging out with him. But Paul gets to a place where he's in the prison at Rome, and there he is in this moment where he finds himself really deserted by people. And notice what happens in the heart of, of, of Paul, the apostle, in the New Testament. Please come to me as soon, come as soon as you can. Paul writes to Timothy, Since Demas deserted me and has left to go to Thessalonica, for he loves his own life. Crescens has gone to Galatia, Titus has gone to Dalmatia. That leaves only Luke with me, so find Mark and bring him with you, for he is a tremendous help for me in my ministry. I've also dispatched Tychicus to Ephesus to minister there. When you come, please bring the leather book bag along with the books I left in Troas with Carpus, especially the parchment scrolls. You need to know that Alexander the jeweler has done me great harm. Listen to that. Alexander has been my enemy. He's done me great harm. May our Lord give him what he deserves for all he has done. Be careful of him, for he arrogantly opposes our ministry. At first, there was no one I could count on to faithfully stand with me. They all ran off and abandoned me. This is Paul toward the end of his life. Would you read the next phrase with me? But don't... That's a very low response, by the way, okay? You guys can read this morning, right? Okay, But don't What? Don't hold this against them. They all deserted me. They all abandoned me. But don't hold this against them. For in spite of this, my Lord himself stood with me, empowering me to complete my ministry of preaching to all the Gentiles, non-Jewish nations, so they all could hear the message and be delivered from the mouth of the lion. And my Lord will continue to deliver me from every form of evil and give, give me life in his heavenly kingdom. May all the glory go to him alone for all the ages of eternity. You see it in David, when Saul was killed, he still maintained a heart of grace. You see it in the words of Jesus, reminding us of how to respond when life isn't fair, and when people are not nice. You see it in the life of the apostle Paul, when he said, everybody deserted me, but don't let it be held against them. The second thing today, get hurt, get even, is an equation of life, it's an unhealthy equation. David found himself, going back now to the story of David in the cave with Saul. Saul is in that vulnerable position, and his men are encouraging David to kill him. And he found himself in that situation that we all find ourselves in from time to time. Somebody's treating us the wrong way. Somebody's really hurting us. Somebody's falsely saying things about us. Things are happening in our life, and we find ourselves in that moment. And when we're in that moment, we're in this place of decision, We've gotta decide how we're gonna respond. We can't control what other people do but we can control what we do and so we have an equation of life that we can choose. I'm gonna talk about the first equation and the most popular equation is this. When I get hurt, what I do is I get even. That's the way the world operates. The world operates that when somebody hurts me, I give hurt back in return. If you hurt me, you're going to feel what I feel. I'm going to make you pay for whatever you've done to me. I might make you pay with passive aggression. I might make you pay with aggression. I might make you pay with the same kind of words that you've given to me. But the the equation the world uses, the world operates on this equation. When I get hurt, I get even. It's not always that, that, that blatant, but sometimes it's, it's hidden down in the heart, and that's the way that we operate. Notice David's uh, situation again in verses 4 through 7. Now is your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemies into your power to do with as you will. This is your day, David. You're getting now what you really need your, to, 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 to move forward in the kingdom. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe, but then David's conscience began what? Bothering him. Because he cut off Saul's robe, the Lord knows I shouldn't have done that to my Lord, the King. He said to his men, "The Lord forbid that I should do this to my Lord, the King, and attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord Himself has chosen him." David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul after Saul had left the cave and gone on his. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, in this moment, David was facing this very critical test in his life. Will I operate as the world operates, or will I operate on a different equation? Will I be the man that get hurt, get even, or will I choose another pathway? What am I going to do in this moment? How am I going to respond? Will I respond with revenge? And, of course, what he does is he comes up behind Saul and cuts off an edge of his robe. And then, of course, his conscience is stricken because he did that, and he realized that he had stepped too far in the process. He had now violated that. Revenge had gotten into his soul. He didn't take Saul's life, but he did make a mistake in allowing revenge to drive him to do something that he should never have done, cutting off the edge of Saul's robe. And the Bible says his conscience troubled him. God spoke to him and said, this is not what you need to be doing. You don't want any revenge in your life at all. The Bible is very clear, dear ones, about revenge. It's very clear about giving people what they give to us. The Bible's very clear that we should never operate in a spirit of revenge in our life, grudges that we hold against people and bitterness that we carry in our hearts towards someone. It's one of the most common passages you'll find all through the books of the Bible of dealing with any kind of heart of revenge and anger and resentment and bitterness in our life. It should never have a place in our hearts. David learned this, we need to as well. Leviticus 19, verse 18. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against anyone among your people, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Proverbs 20, 22. Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord. He will avenge you. 1 Peter 3, 9, do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay repay evil with a blessing because to this you are called so that you may inherit a blessing. So again, what you give is what you receive. If you want a blessing, you need to be a blesser. Hebrews 12, 15, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27, In your anger Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you're still angry. And do not, do not, do not give the devil a foothold. All these verses, and I could have given you literally uh, scores more, deal with this kind of an attitude in our life. Now, why is God so anti-revenge? There are lots of different reasons. I'm going to give you two today, and then we'll move to our final point together. Why is God so anti-revenge, and why... Why is this linked even to significance? You're talking about significance, Pastor, and so why are you you linking this with significance? Because revenge will destroy your significance. And the reason that God is so big on dealing with this issue in our life is, is for two primary reasons, I believe. There are a lot of reasons. Let me give you two primary reasons why revenge is a bad choice, why this equation, get hurt, get even, is always bad. It's an unhealthy way to respond to life. Number one, because any time you hold a grudge against someone without you realizing it, something starts happening inside of you. And part of what happens inside of you is your heart begins to get hardened and you don't even realize it. You begin to get hard on the inside. You begin to form things that are resistant on the inside to other people and you begin to form this stuff internally. And, 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 and what happens is you, you develop a hardened heart, Your heart is no longer as tender to God. And so when you're not tender to God, uh, you're you're, uh, you're, going to make mistakes in life, obviously. You'll not be able to respond to God well. And so revenge or anger or grudges always makes you harder on the inside. It never makes you softer, more tender. We all want to do things in life that make us softer toward God rather than harder. Amen? Got it? Okay. But revenge does that. Grudges do that for you. Here's a second reason. I'm covering these two very quickly. We, talk, we actually spent a whole message on this, but I'm not going to today. I'm just going to kind of touch on it briefly. Why is revenge so bad? second reason, I think, is because what revenge does, it becomes an emotion inside of you that gets kind of pressed into your soul. And when, when you're angry at someone, you have a grudge towards someone that you're not willing to let go of and forgive and release, when that happens inside of you, it, it, whether you realize it or not, not only does it make you hard, but it also drains your energy because you're, you're suppressing something and repressing something internally, and what's happening is you may not realize it, but that, that grudge is working on you, it's draining. It's like a battery drain, and it's like, uh, you ever had your, maybe your computer or your phone, uh, your, and you got, and, and the battery's draining really quickly? Anybody know what I'm talking about? It's like, why is my battery going down so much? And then you finally check, and you, got, you got a certain app or several apps on that are battery draining apps. Anybody help me know, are you with me this, everybody lot, are you awake this morning? I'm just trying to find out, okay? okay. Or am, I, am I talking to myself up here? I just want to make sure I know, okay? Have you had that experience? Yes. And then you find out, oh, the problem is I had this app running, and it's a bad app, and it's, it's draining my battery. I'm going to delete that app, or I'm going to uh, shut it down. And so that's revenge. Revenge gets in you, and it's like, a, it's like a bad app, and it starts draining your energy. And You walk around, I'm so tired, I'm so worn out, I'm not even sure why, and what's going on is that that, that anger is just draining resources from your life. By the way, we need all the resources we can get, right? And so if we are letting something drain us about or make us hard, it's never a good thing. So life isn't fair and people are not always nice. When life isn't fair and when people are not nice, what do we do? Equation number one is get hurt, get even. Not a good equation. Let me give you the second equation. The second equation, get hurt, give grace. Yeah. Say it with me. Get hurt, get hurt give grace. Give grace. That's, the, that's the healthy way to live and it's the holy way to live. It's both healthy and holy. This is something that we learned from David. David, in this situation, had to make the choice to respond in a gracious way. He, 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 he creeps up behind Saul and he cuts off the edge of his garment. And in that moment, as I mentioned a moment ago, his conscience begins to bother him because he, he realizes that he stepped out of grace. He stepped away from what he ought to be as a man after God's own heart. He's, 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 he stepped into some territory that's dangerous territory. He stepped into a place where his heart can start to be hardened and bad things can start happening on the inside of him. And so he immediately, once he recognizes it, he, he repents. He's aware of this and he, he deals with it in his heart because he knows where it's going to take him. His repentance was valuable to him in this moment because... It was the very thing that kept him from making a very, very bad decision in his life. And when you and I recognize revenge, grudges, bitterness, anything in our heart toward another person that's anything less than grace, it's when our conscience needs to get a hold of us and shake us up and say, "You know what? Don't go there. Don't let that be a part of your life." Jesus calls us to live an extraordinarily, miraculously, super, miraculous, supernatural life of grace. Let me ask you a question. When you've messed up in life, what do you want from people? What do you want? You want grace. Jesus teaches us that part of grace is learning how to forget people who've hurt us, who've damaged us in some way. When life wasn't fair and people weren't nice, Jesus said, I wanna teach you how to respond graciously. And he gives us a story in Matthew chapter 18 that is valuable to this. I'm not gonna read the story for you. I'm gonna tell the story to you. I'll read one verse in just a moment for you. But I want you to get this story. And it's the story of Jesus. He said, he responded to Peter one day because Peter came to him and said, Lord, how many times do I need to forgive anybody? Would seven times be enough? Peter, I'm, I'm convinced, felt pretty proud of himself when he said it seven times. I mean, Jesus, you gotta think I'm a pretty awesome guy. I'm willing to forgive people up to seven times. Don't you think that's enough? By the way, seven is the number of perfection. And so he's thinking he's being, if you will, perfect in that he was looking for, for, some, from, for some accolades from his, his savior. He wanted Jesus to pat him on the back and say, way to go, boy, I'm so proud of you. Seven times, that's awesome. Most people stop at two, some at once, some will not forgive at all. You're awesome, Peter. But Jesus said, no, no, time out, Peter. No, no. I want you to forgive 70 times seven. Now, some of you are already doing the math right now. That's 490. Jesus was not saying 490 times. He was using the illustration. This needs to be a continual pattern of your life. Some of you are at 489 right now. You're waiting for 490 so you can kill them. Right? It's like 490 is over with, okay? Not what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, let there be an ongoing attitude of grace and forgiveness in your life. Don't let revenge and grudge and a grudge get inside of you. Don't let that happen. Learn to walk in grace, and then Jesus gave a parable. Here's the story. Jesus said, let me tell you a story about a king. He Had some servants that owed him a lot of money. So one day, the king made the decision. You can read again this in Matthew chapter 18. One day, the king made the decision to call all of his account sense. Okay, everybody pay me up now. You owe me whatever you owe me. Bring it up. We're gonna settle all the books. Let's get everything right. He had one particular servant that had a very significant line of credit. He had borrowed up to 50 million silver coins. Think about that. 50 million. I'm giving it into today's kind of translation of it. 50 million silver coins. And so... The king calls in the accounts and the man who owes the king 50 million silver coins Runs to the king and says, king, I, I can't pay this. I don't have it right now. Give me some time. I'll try to get the money for you. I'll try to pay you back. And the king said, no, you, you need to give it to me now. He said, I can't pay you now. I can't do it. And so the king, the Bible said, felt mercy, felt compassion, felt grace on the servant, and he forgave him the entire debt, all 50 million silver coins. He says, you know what? I'm just going to tear your bill up. How many of you like to call MasterCard when you get home today and say, read Matthew 18, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. completely free of debt, owed nothing at all anymore but the Bible says Jesus in this parable interesting because Jesus, Jesus said this man then he turned around and left the king and what would you think he would be doing when he left the king But if you, if you, if, if, if you did get a note from MasterCard and Visa saying, all of your bills are forgiven, what would you do? You'd be shout, I mean, we would hear hallelujahs all over Montgomery County, Frederick County, right? But the Bible says that this man ran out of the king's presence, and he thought, oh, I remember Joe, and Joe owes me 100 silver coins. I'm going to go get my money from him. So he runs over and using Joe. This is not in the Bible, by the way. I'm paraphrasing the story just so you understand, Okay. So he runs over to Joe and says, Joe, buddy, you owe me 100, 100 silver coins. I want you to pay me and pay me right now. Give me what you owe me. And Joe says, I, don't, I, I can't. I don't have the money. I can't pay you right now. Have mercy on me and I'll, I'll, give you, I'll get the money somehow. And the Bible says that this man, who had just been forgiven 50 million silver coins of debt, grabbed Joe by the throat and began to choke him and said, I'm gonna throw you into prison until you pay back everything that you owe me. And then the scripture says that the king heard about what this servant did and it wasn't pretty. The king brought him back in and said, don't you understand that I forgave you all that debt? Did you somehow forget how much debt I forgave you And then you go out and treat your fellow servant like that? Do you understand how much of a discrepancy that is, because I have operated with you in grace, and you've operated in a spirit of revenge, grudging. And he has the servant thrown into prison, where the Bible says very clearly that he was subjected to the tormenting of the prison, prisons, prisoners there, because revenge will always lead to torment in your life. And in this story, there's a lesson for you and me. The lesson for you and me is this. It's never healthy to walk in anything less than grace. Amen? Grace, did this man deserve to be forgiven of his $50 million debt? No. It's not an issue of deserving. It has nothing to do with deserving. It has to do with the attitude of the heart, how we respond to people. It's related to the whole concept, if you will, of of, of forgiveness, the whole concept of significance. Notice the verse 35 of Matthew chapter 18. Why don't we read this together aloud and loudly? Here we go. In the same way, my heavenly Father will deal with any of you if you do not release forgiveness from your heart toward your fellow believer. Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Mark eleven twenty-five. But when you are praying first... Forgive anyone you're holding a grudge against, so that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins too. Romans 12, 17 through 21. Never hold a grudge or try to get even, but plan your, your life around the noblest way to benefit others. Do your best to live as everybody's friend. Beloved, don't be obsessed with taking revenge, but let, let leave that to God's righteous judgment. For the scriptures say, if you do not, if you don't take judgment, justice in your own hands, I will release justice for you, says the Lord. And if your enemy is hungry, buy him lunch. Win him over with kindness. Your surprising generosity will awaken his conscience and God will reward you with favor. Read verse 21 with me. Never let evil defeat you, but defeat evil with good. Let me wrap up here today. God had a plan for David's life. Would you agree? What was God's plan for David's life? To take him from being a shepherd boy in Bethlehem to becoming the king of Israel, right? That was God's plan for for David's life. David, in this moment in the cave, could have taken things into his own hands at that moment, and he could have put a knife in Saul's back, and he could have killed him that day. He could have gotten revenge for the way he'd been treated. And even after he cut off that little edge of his garment, he responded the right way in grace. Why? Because I think David understood something. I'm not going to take this into my hands. I'm going to deal graciously with my enemy, and when I deal graciously with my enemy, I'm opening up the blessing of God of his favor in my life for significance. Here's what I would say as I'm wrapping up today. I think if David had killed Saul that day, if David had put a knife in Saul's back that day, I don't think we've heard anything else about David in the Bible. I believe that would have been the day that David's story in the Bible would have walked off the pages of the Bible and God would have brought somebody else in to that situation. Because listen, how you deal in life when you're hurt and how you deal in life when people aren't fair and situations aren't fair, how you respond in your heart, I'm talking about in your heart, in your heart, what happens in you, because what happens in you, in your heart's the most important thing. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth will speak. What's in your heart controls your life. All these verses that describe these things that go on in our heart. But how you handle a desire for revenge in your life will determine the significance of your life. Today, by God's grace, our prayer is, God, would you remove every grudge in my heart? Would you remove every spirit of revenge in my life? Or would you allow me, instead of following the equation of the world that says get hurt, get even, Would you help me by the power of the Holy Spirit to follow the equation of the kingdom that when I get hurt, I give grace, amen? Let's pray together. Father, thank you this morning for your word. We're grateful for the word of God and how it challenges us and changes us and calls us to live in new and fresh and different ways, to live the kingdom way. Lord, our ways are not your ways and our thoughts are not your thoughts. We need to learn how to live your way. Forgive us, God, for the times we've held grudges in our hearts against people. It's so natural to do. It's so easy to do. And times that we've been bitter and angry about things, Lord, forgive us of those moments. And we ask that you would tenderize our heart again, even as you did for David. Tenderize our hearts and help us to respond to that working of your Holy Spirit. Lord, let us live in a life of forgiveness, we pray, receiving your forgiveness and giving it to others. We thank you for it. In Jesus' name. And I would encourage you also to check out the resources on our website that will help you to get going in your relationship with Jesus. You can find them at church-redeemer.org. Get those into your hands. Get started in your new life with Jesus Christ. Thanks again for joining us today. May God bless you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. If you've prayed with a pastor today and made a decision to follow Jesus Christ, we have some resources for you on our website. Just go to church-redeemer.org slash you. We pray that this message was a blessing to you.